Well, that was great, Kevin. Thanks very much. Great to be with you today. Great to be with you, good people. Some old friends, some new friends, all friends. Uh, That's Calvary Baptist Church. I want to share with you some life-changing advice that I received about half a lifetime ago. I was speaking in Montreal uh, at a hotel. One of the speakers with me was Bill Bright, whom you will know as the founder and director of Campus Crusade for Christ. I had the wonderful privilege of spending an hour with him alone in his, uh, one of his hotel rooms one afternoon. And uh, in the midst of it, I thought, this is a good opportunity. So I did it. I said, Dr. Bright, give me a piece of advice. I've got a lifetime ahead of me. Give me a piece of advice. He thought for a moment, and then he let me have it. Both barrels. He said, Bill, maximize your ministry. Well, I sat there sort of stunned. Now I wish I had said, what do you mean by that? But I've had a lot of time to think about it. And I've thought about it a lot of times. What would he mean by that? What would that look like? Now, I knew he wasn't talking about a a professional idea of ministry. I knew he was just talking about ministry, a life of service, serving the Lord, walking with the Lord. We're all involved in ministry. We've all been called to minister. And so to maximize your ministry is simply, I guess, to make the most, be most productive in, in a lifetime of serving the Lord and walking with God. I've thought about it so much that uh, I've tried to come down with some some particular directives for myself. And uh, the one I'm going to talk to you about this morning is simply this. I think that the most strategic way that you can make the most of your Christian life is by committing yourself to be a faithful steward. Now let me tell you about the steward of the New Testament times. We don't have stewards today as they had in the New Testament times. But in the culture of the first century, people who were wealthy had stewards. And these stewards were entrusted with the management of the affairs of the owner. So if you were a wealthy landowner, a wealthy farmer, a wealthy businessman, uh, you would have a steward who would be the CEO, who would be the managing director. And he would look after the managing of your affairs. If you were a wealthy parent, you would have a steward who would have the responsibility of managing the education and the training and the relationships of your children. That's what a steward was. They had a very significant place to play in the the early Christian culture. Uh, In the New Testament... Followers of Jesus are called a variety of things, cultural things. We're called disciples, we're called Christians, we're called salt, we're called light, we're called servants. Uh, One of them is a steward. And that's what a steward was, somebody who was entrusted with the uh, management of someone else's affairs, their responsibilities. Um, A stewardship, just by its definition, is a two-party proposition. One party owns the resources. The second party manages the resources. Now, the real question, of course, this morning is, what's required with being a faithful steward? Because the Bible uses that phrase. If you have your Bible, turn with me to um, 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we read of uh, the requirement of stewards. And uh, you need to see that this is biblically based, this requirement. And therefore, it has all the authority of God wrapped up in it and behind it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse, 4, verse 1 says this. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now you can see the word steward in the authorized text is reflected in that. And so verse 2 goes on and says, Now it is required, and the authorized text says, of stewards. I'm reading the New International Version, which defines it and explains it. And it says, Now it is required of those who have been given a trust that they must prove themselves faithful. That's the requirement of a steward. It's to be faithful. And that's a very, very important and critical thing. What's the key to being a faithful steward? Well, just put yourself in the culture and you'll be able to see it instantly. A faithful steward was one who discerned what his owner wanted done and doing it. So if you're managing the farm... A faithful steward would be somebody who would simply want to understand clearly what the owner wants done with the farm and doing it. He didn't have to be creative. He didn't go his own way. His responsibility, because it wasn't his farm, his responsibility was simply to be sure that he understood what the owner wanted done and doing it. And that would be a faithful steward. Lauren Jackson, who's a Bible teacher from Australia, has written a lovely little book, and in it I found a very cute and interesting phrase. He said that after the, life, after the faith decision, the Christian life is all about stewardship. Well, that's pretty significant. The faith decision, of course, is how the Christian life begins. You become a Christian. You become a follower of Jesus. You become a member of God's family. You become an heir of eternal life. You become the possessor of the forgiveness of sins, as Kevin was singing, I'm amazed. You you become all of that and have all of that as a result of a faith decision. And the faith decision is to decide to trust Christ entirely exclusively to trust him for the forgiveness of your sin, to trust him for acceptance before God, to trust him for eternal life. You can be a member of a church and never have made that faith decision. You can have been baptized and never have made that decision. Uh, You can take communion and never make that decision. You enter the Christian life with a faith decision to put your trust entirely, exclusively upon the one who died for you, the one who paid the penalty for your sin, the one who satisfied the demands of God. That's how the Christian life begins. And if you've never made that decision, there are many of us this morning that are praying that you will do that right now. You can do that right now. You can do that at the end of the service as we sing a closing song. You can make that faith decision and enter the family of God become a follower of Jesus, then the issue of stewardship becomes important. Because after the faith decision, the Christian life is all about stewardship. And uh, 
That's what we want to explore this morning. Faithful stewards understand four important principles. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 12. Let me read you a little parable that Jesus tells us here that helps us to understand exactly what's involved with the, uh, the stewardship picture. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 42, we read these words. Who then is the faithful and wise, my translation says, manager? It's the idea of the steward. Who then is a faithful and wise steward? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant when the master comes, he finds him doing when he returns. Now, that, that gives us a little insight into the principles involved in stewardship. For example, the first principle is the principle of ownership. Stewards understand that they own nothing, that everything they have has been entrusted to them by the owner. And the owner is God. They understand Psalm, the Psalm 24, 1 that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it, and the world and everyone that's in it. Stewards understand that they don't own anything. God is the primary owner of everything, and what you have has been entrusted to you. They understand that they're responsible for what's entrusted to them. And their responsibility is to do what the owner wants done with it. It's as simple as that. And it's as important as that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, the reason why he preaches the gospel is because he realizes that the gospel has been entrusted to him. He's a steward of the gospel. And his responsibility is to do with that message what the owner wants done. And what the owner wants done with that message that he's entrusted to Paul is for Paul to deliver the message. It's as simple as that. All you have to do to be a faithful steward is to do what the owner wants done with what he's trusted to you. The third principle is the principle of accountability. Romans chapter uh, chapter 14 says that there's coming a day when every follower of Jesus is going to stand before him and give an account of all that they have done in their body. I'm going to give an account of what's been entrusted to me. And the issue is going to be, have you done with it what I wanted done with it? And if it is, then the fourth principle is the principle of reward. The faithful steward will be rewarded. Now those are the four great principles of stewardship. And faithful stewards understand those principles. And those principles apply to all of your Christian life. After the faith decision, it's all about stewardship. You thought it was all about money, didn't you? Whenever we say in a church that we're going to have a message on stewardship, you think about money. Well, money is part of it. Every, every cent that you have has been entrusted to you by the Lord. And you're responsible to do with it what the Lord wants you to do with it. I can't tell you what to do with it. I haven't given it to you. But the Lord who's given it to you, you're responsible to do with it what he wants you to do. And you better be sure that you're doing what he wants you to do because you're going to give it an account. And if you've been faithful and simply done what he wanted you to do with your money, then you're going to be rewarded. But stewardship goes far, far beyond that. 
We're stewards of the earth. God has placed us on this earth to care for this earth. If anybody ought to be a serious environmentalist, it ought to be Christians. Because we're stewards of this earth. You're stewards of the body that you have. You can abuse your body. You can misuse your body. You can overuse your body. You can underuse your body. Or you can use your body to glorify God, to please God, to serve God. Are you using your body the way the owner wants it to be used? Simple as that. That's faithful stewardship. He's given you a a spiritual gift. He's given you a family. He's given you uh, responsibilities, a job, uh, a Sunday school class, an eldership role. Uh, He's given you time. He's entrusted you with the gospel. See, it's really true. After the faith decision, the Christian life is all about stewardship. Recognizing that everything I have has been given to me by the owner. I'm responsible to do what he wants done with it. I'm going to give an account of that someday, and the reward will come with it. Well, that's a really huge thing. I'm going to talk to you about one area of stewardship that I bet you've never even considered. Come with me to the hockey arena. It's playoff time. Our grandson's playing. Marilyn and I are in the arena. Five minutes to play. Our team's winning three to one. The other team gets a penalty. They get the puck down in their own end, and they shoot it down to our end. The goalie, our goalie, George, casually glides over to the corner, picks up the puck, and shoots it back up the ice to one of his men but it's intercepted. And the opposing team gets the puck, takes two strides, and shoots the puck into an open net. The score is now 3-2. to two. One minute left in the game, they tie the game. 3-3. Three, three. We go into overtime. In the first five minutes, they score. We lose 4-3. to three. The whole momentum of the game changed at that five-minute mark to go. When George left the net and was caught out of the net. I'll never forget that moment because George came back to the net and stood at the corner and was dejected. You could just see his shoulders. He was depressed. He was humiliated. And that's when it happened. The coach climbed up on the bench and bellowed so that everybody in the arena could hear. George, use your head. Sound familiar? Well, how many times have you said that to your children? Well, you say, I'd never say that. Oh, no, but I'll bet you've said this. Think before you say something. Think before you do something. See, that's what you're saying. Use your head. Or I bet you've said this. What were you thinking of when you bought that? Ah. What you're saying is, use your head. Actions without thinking always produce consequences. 
that it can be ultimately very disastrous. Have you ever considered that your mind is part of your stewardship? God has given us as human beings a mind, a head, a capacity, an ability to think. And I want to, I want to consider with you this morning the fact that being a faithful steward involves being a faithful steward of your mind. So my message to you this morning in part is simply going to be, if you really want to maximize your ministry, your life of service, if you want it to be as fruitful and be as much as it can be, you need to commit yourself to be a faithful steward of your mind. It's as simple as that, and it's as important as that. If you were to read Romans and 1 Corinthians, you would discover that 24 times in those two books, there's a cute little phrase that says, don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Now, when I read those phrases, I find myself saying, use your head. Use your head. Use your head. That's what that phrase is implying. Think. Use your mind. You know this. Now use your mind. Think about this. Using your mind is really important. A few years ago, John Stott wrote a little booklet that he entitled, Your Mind Matters. Now, it was a book written for InterVarsity Fellowship and particularly geared for university students who, uh, who have their mind challenged and developed. And what he wanted these university students to understand is that their minds matter. I'm applying it on a much broader scale and saying it to all of us. Our minds really do matter. And we need to understand that they matter and use those minds the way the master wants them to be used. That's a faithful steward. Now let me suggest some areas where you and I should be using our mind. That's what the master wants us to do. For example... Did you see the story on the news about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, of the skier who was trapped in an avalanche, broke his leg, was lost in the wilderness for nine days before he was found alive. He survived. I saw him interviewed on early morning uh, television, news broadcast. And uh, the newsman was, was really curious to find out how he survived. And so the young fella turned to him and he said this. He says, we're told that we can't live three minutes without air. We can't live three days without water. We can't live three weeks without food. And then he leaned over to the newscaster and he said, but I'm here to tell you that the battle to survive begins in the mind. That's his word. The battle to survive begins in the mind. What do faithful sewers do with their mind? They use their heads when coping with stress is the issue. When you're coping with a stressful situation, what drives you? What drives your life? What drives your decision? What drives your actions? Most of us are driven by our emotions. And I just imagine when you're doing that, 
You're letting your emotions carry your way. So you blow your gasket and you yell and you kick and you scream and you bite and you cry and whatever you do, driven by your emotions. I just imagine that God up in heaven is looking down and he's saying to you, use your head. Use your head. What's he mean by that? Well, look at David, for example. In Psalm 25, David is in a stressful situation. His enemies are surrounding him. Life is very, very harsh. And in that Psalm, Psalm 27, rather, verse 13, he says this. I would have lost heart unless, now watch this, unless, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, what did David know? What did he know that he believed, that he embraced, that he, that he took a hold of? What did he know that kept him from losing heart? What did he know that kept him from getting destroyed and devastated? What did he know that kept him from blowing off and being driven by emotions and doing things that he's going to regret the rest of his life? What did he know? He knew some things about God. And knowing those things about God drove him so that he coped and survived. What do you do when you're confronted with with a really stressful situation? What drives you? Be careful about emotions. That's going to be your instinct. You're going to get mad. You're going to get hurt. You're going to depress. Don't let the emotions drive you. Use your head. That's why God gave you a head. Use your head. And the way you use your head is you take your mind and you focus your mind. You engage your mind on the truths of God that need to be fitted in and filtered into that mind of yours. So that you take a hold of a verse that says, for example, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are his called children. You get a hold of that. You take a hold of that and you let that drive you, not your emotions. Your emotions will get you in trouble every time. Use your head and focus upon that truth of God. Or take Ephesians chapter 3, which says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that you could ask or think. Now, use your head and focus upon that. Embrace that. Take a hold of it. Believe it. Trust it. That's how you cope and survive stress. Or you take the last verse in Romans, which says, to the only wise God. God is wise. He knows what he's doing. He's the only wise God. And you engage that. You embrace that. You focus upon that. You take a hold of that. You believe it. That's how you cope with stress. Or you take a verse that says, When God begins a good work in somebody, he continues to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, verse 6. Marilyn and I took that. We held on to that for the the toughest years of our life in relationship with one of our children. And we'd come to God and we'd say, God, you said, you promised that when you begin a good work in somebody, you'll continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that kept us from losing our sanity. It kept us from doing and saying things that we would have regretted the rest of our life. How do you cope with stress? Use your head. And the way you use your head is you embrace the great truths of the word of God. 
the character of God and the promises of God. You believe them, you hold on to them, you trust them that they're really true. And that's how you do it. That's what Isaiah had in mind when he said in Isaiah 26, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, the one whose mind is stayed on you. Got that verse? Don't let your emotions drive you in trying to cope and survive with stress. Use your head. Take a hold of the truths of God, the character, the promises of God. Hold on to them, embrace them, engage them, believe them. And let your mind guide you, let your mind drive you as you're coping with stress. That's what faithful stewards do. They use their minds to cope with the stresses of life. But that's not all. They use their minds when it comes to offering worship to God. What drives your worship? You say, well, I guess it's my emotions. Oh, I think that's true of most of us. Worship that is driven just by emotion, worship that's just driven just by emotion, can be an empty kind of worship. It's really important for you to understand that faithful stewards use their head. Their worship is driven by the mind, not the, not the heart, not the emotion of life. The only worship that's acceptable to God is intelligent worship. That's clear from uh, the book of Luke where Jesus says, that you love the Lord your God with all your mind. What would that look like? To love God with all your mind. Well, we get a picture of not doing that in Malachi. Malachi, last days of the Old Testament, and they're sad days. As a matter of fact, God says in Malachi chapter 1, as he looks down on the children of Israel, I wish somebody would come and put a padlock on the front door of the temple and close the door, rather than you coming in and worshiping the way you're worshiping. Well, what would ever be so wrong that God would wish that God put, somebody had put a padlock on the front door of the church so that you wouldn't come and worship that way? Well, in Malachi chapter 1, this is what he says. Then none of you can get in and play at worship with this silly, empty-headed worship. I'm not pleased. Now, this is Eugene Peterson's translation in his uh, translation called The Message. But what is empty-headed worship? It's emotion with no content. It's emotion with no engaged mind. And you can get caught up in that. You can sing a song and sit down after you've sung it and not even remember what you sang. Because you sang it without engaging your mind. And that's a tragedy. Faithful stewards understand that God has given us a mind. And that mind needs to be engaged because those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that means in harmony with the truth of God. So the thing that springs worship, the thing that inspires worship, the thing that motivates worship is having a mind that's filled with the truths of God. And engaging that mind so you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about this. And as you think about it, it comes down and it starts to touch your heart. And then your passion is expressed. But it begins in the mind. Take, for example, the Psalms, the great hymn book of the Old Testament people. Uh, their worship was, was, was fired by an appreciation of God's majesty and power in creation. 
and by God's wonderful works and dealings in the providences of life, how he protected them, how he provided for them, how he guided them, the providences of life. Now, when you come into the New Testament, there's a third arena, and it's the whole arena of redemption. The thing that inspires and prompts worship is when we focus upon the holiness of God, we focus upon the sacrifice of Christ, we focus upon the forgiveness of our sin, uh, we focus on all of this. That's, that's what we were doing in that wonderful song, I'm amazed that my sins are all forgiven. Now, there's a lot of emotion in that, and there needs to be a lot of emotion. But watch now, what sparks the emotion? What triggers the emotion? It's an understanding of the redemptive work of Christ. And when you understand the sacrifice, you understand who it was that died, you understand all that was involved in the redemptive work of Christ, that triggers the emotion. And so passion comes. But it doesn't begin there. It never begins there if it's going to be true worship. If it's true worship, it'll always begin in the mind. A mind that's engaged with the truths of God. That's what faithful stewards do. They use their mind in offering worship. They don't bypass it. They don't neglect it. They don't ignore it. They use their mind. They think, engaging, embracing the great truths of the word of God. That's not at all. Faithful stewards use their head in um, offering worship. They use their head in coping with stress. But also... They use their head in pursuing holiness in their lives. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews 12 that says, Pursue holiness. Make every effort to be holy. Now, how do you do that? You wake up in the morning, you roll out of bed, and you clench your teeth, you flex your muscles, and you say, I'm not going to lose my temper today. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to try to really be patient today. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to be, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be forgiving today. Or, I'm not going to think those things, that, those thoughts that I've been thinking. I'm not, I'm not going to think that way today. You, you, you set up and you're wanting to drive yourself into holiness by your emotions. Never works. Never works. You growl and crawl into bed at night and you say, oh, I lost my temper again. Oh, man, I did it again. I didn't do it. Never works. The pursuit of holiness always begins in the mind. It begins by knowing and understanding the truths of God related to holiness. I can tell you one verse that makes that so clear to me, and it's a very helpful verse. Romans chapter 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See? How is a person transformed? Change their mind. Renovate their mind. You change a person's mind and you've changed the person's life. You renovate that mind of yours and you'll transform that life of yours. That's how it happens. And the renovation of your mind, the... Um, Using of that mind involves focusing upon what the truths are, what God says about holiness. The most obvious it says is you can't live holy lives. You can't be like Jesus. You can't produce Christ all by yourself. Stop trying to imitate Jesus. You can't do that. And I can hear the Lord saying, use your head. I've given you the Holy Spirit to do that. 
See, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will produce Christ in your life. Now, you need to walk in such a way that the Holy Spirit is productive and producing in your life. Let that drive you, not your emotion of trying harder, not your trying to stop it and overcome this. That's never going to do it. Use your head and understand that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do it. And you need to rest in him and you need to trust him and understand that. You need to understand that he does that because of the wonderful works of Romans chapter 6. When Christ died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When Christ was raised, you were raised again. We had that picture in our baptism. And we're raised to walk in newness of life. Now what Romans 6 is saying is that when you become a believer, the bondage and the dominion of that sin nature of yours is broken. You do not need to sin. You're free not to sin. Now did you know that? See, that's Romans chapter. You need to know that truth. You do not need to do that. You don't need to act that way. You don't need to hold that grudge. You don't need to be that way. You don't need to think that way. The bondage of the sin nature is broken. You're free not to sin. You're free to live a godly and holy life. Stop trying. Start focusing your mind upon the great truths of godliness and spirituality in your life. And the Spirit of God produces Christ in our lives. See, that's what faithful stewards do. They use their head when it comes to pursuing holiness. And boy, is that important. Be careful about about trying to do it on the basis of emotion. And then lastly this morning, I want to mention, they use their head when they're seeking God's guidance and God's direction in their life. How, how How do you seek God's guidance? What is it that drives you? What is it that pushes you? What is it that directs you? in your desire to do God's will. Be careful about your emotions. They'll trick you up and trip you up over and over again. I was having lunch with a businessman in Toronto a couple of years ago. Christian leader. He shocked me when he broke into the midst of our lunch and he said, Bill, I've decided to divorce my wife. I was speechless. I waited. And then this is what he said. I think God wants me to be happy. If I knew then what I heard in the sermon this morning, I would have liked to jump up on top of the table in that restaurant and said to him, my friend, use your head. You don't let those emotions guide you when it comes to holiness in your life. You don't let those emotions guide you when it comes to seeking God's guidance in your life. Use your head. That's why God gave you a mind. And a head that's cram-packed with the truths of God and the truths of the Christian life becomes the agent, the driving force in your life. Psalm 119 says, "Thy uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now this is God's word. Would you be astonished if I said, I think I know about 75% of God's will for your life? You say, Bill, you don't even know my name. Well, that's true. But I think I know most of what God's will for your life is. There it is. Now, I know it doesn't tell you what university to go to, what courses to take, who to marry, what job to take. I know it doesn't tell you that. But about 75% of your Christian life is made very clear here. 
The reason why you have a lot of difficulty discerning God's unrevealed will is because you either don't know his revealed will or you're ignoring it. How do you pursue God's guidance? How do you seek God's guidance? Well, anybody who really wants the guidance of God begins by listening to the guidance of the apostles and the prophets through the Holy Spirit. That's where it begins. It begins turning to the word of God and feeding your mind, filling your mind with the great truths of the word of God. And there's the guidance. So I'm being driven in my life, I'm being guided in my life by my mind, not by my, my, by, by, by my, my emotions. That, ladies and gentlemen, young people, that's being a faithful steward. Now, someday, you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of what you've done, how you've used your mind. By the way, that's a pretty startling thing for some of us men. What we think about, God knows all about it. How are you using your mind? You're going to be accountable for that. Faithful stewards understand that their mind is part of their stewardship. And uh, you and I need to use our minds the way the owner wants them to be used. That's going to change some of your thinking this week. You're going to catch yourself in the middle of the week remembering McCray. Oh, McCray. Dear, oh dear. Remember what he said? He said, that mind. And what I'm thinking about right now, that's not the way the Lord wants me to use my mind. He's entrusted me with a good mind, and I'm using it this way. You bring all kinds of garbage, all kinds of stuff into that mind of yours. When it comes to seeking God's guidance, you don't, have the, you don't have the input here to draw from. What you need to do is have the input up here to draw from, and that's how you guide your life. So there's my little message for you this morning. Maximize your life by being a faithful steward. And I think one of the most curious, one of the most difficult, one of the most challenging, and one of the most ignored is by being a faithful steward of your mind. And that can be done using your head to survive stress, using your head to offer true and genuine worship, using your head to um, pursue holiness and godliness in your life, and using your head just to seek God's guidance in that life of yours. Don't let emotion supplant the mind. How do you do that? Well, what you do is you feed and fill your mind with the truths of God. Now listen, that's where they come from. If you're a new young Christian, if you're just a teenager, you need to understand that that mind of yours needs to be filled, it needs to be fed with the truths of God. You need to be reading your Bible, you need to be studying your Bible, you need to be in a Bible study group, uh, you need to be memorizing your Bible, you need to get some of my famous 3x5 cards and write verses on them and put them at your desk or your bedside table. You need to be filling the computer, feeding it, feeding it, filling it with the, with the truths of God. Then, when you're facing a stress situation, then when it comes time to worship, then when you're wondering about godly, holy living, then when you're looking for God's guidance in your life, then what you do is you embrace that truth. You take a hold of it. You believe it. You focus upon that. You trust that. 
And then you do that, it comes down and it works out in the passion of our life, and that's what brings the blessing of God in our life. This week, you're going to find yourself saying to yourself, use your head. Use your head. If you don't, I'm going to be really disappointed. But that's what you're going to be saying. And you're going to find yourself saying that to your children. Use your head. Use your head. One piece of advice. Never say it to your wife. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening, or this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the minds that you've given to us. And how powerful and forceful, directive those minds can be. Teach us today, Lord, that being a faithful steward of our mind is critically important in every area of our life. And I pray that this week, our lives will be different. We will be maximizing our ministry this week by being faithful stewards of our minds. And Lord, I'd like to pray for folks who still have not made that faith decision. They've never made that step. I pray this morning that you would give them the wisdom and the grace to take that step to open their heart and life to Christ, to receive him in a personal way as their Savior, and that you'll come into their lives in all of your fullness, with all of your blessing. And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.